Dun, dun, dun. Doing my science. That's what hey, I do. Hey, there he is, Crewman Joe. How's it going? Hey, Peter. How's it been, man? Hey, man. Uh, what what year is this? What year is this? Uh, what year is this? It's twenty twenty three sixty nine. All right, good. This is a good one to stop on. Hey, uh, my chronoton frequency that we gotta fix is two point three five microcents. Uh, I need you to jot that one down. It's gonna be a big number. We gotta work around here, right? What? What? Okay. Uh, was something wrong? Okay. Yeah. What's going uh, on? Listen. Um, here's the deal. I was involved in some shit about tenish years in the fut- your future, and I have actually been traveling backwards in time. I think I got this thing worked out. We need to build me some sort of time stabilizer field or something. That's what uh, the last doctor said. Well, actually, what you said about uh, two years from now. Chronoton frequency needs to be two point three five microseconds. We got a lot right. of work to do. Uh, All right. Because we've got some stuff we got to wrap up before the pack led Fago revolt of 2371. Whoa, 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 whoa. Peter, how dare you break the temporal prime directive by attempting to give me privileged information about the future? I, I can't hear that. I mean, yeah, whatever. You've got some fucking time aids or whatever. And we got to expel that from you. I'm, I'm on top of it. I'm taking some notes. I'm working some calculations as we speak, but. I don't... Yeah, no, you gotta keep that shit to yourself, man. Did we, you we not what do... I hear what I said? Pack-led Fagel revolts of ah, 23... Ah, la, 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 I can't hear this because of temporal regulation 64D. La, 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 you can't hear about any of that 64D me. You know what? I'm sorry. See, you thought I, like, traveled forward in time and, like, some science project gone awry. Like, it's not like that, dude. This is a, this is a natural... Like, I'm not time traveling. I'm just, like, moving back in my own timeline. Like, this is natural. This is from the Earth. Subsection F2.6 clearly says that even in the situation of a naturally occurring, unstuck in time vis-a-vis Kurt Vonnegut Slaughterhouse 5 vibe, temporal time directive still applies. You cannot tell me anything about the potential future. Pollutes the timeline, man. Come on. We went over this when you took your exam. That exam sucked. Just like the guy who went up against Darsh Rendell in the big Ambu Jitsu tournament coming up, I believe, in about six months from now. We're going to pull some credits, my friend. You know who wins? Fuck yeah. Dude, I got lottery ticket numbers. We are going to be rich as fuck. Gold press latinum stacked to the roof. We're going to be up in some Ferengi hollow suites getting busy. So take your rules, throw them out the window. We're going on an organic ride back to the future, my friend. You know, maybe fuck the Federation is the right idea. Janeway all the way, bro. Welcome to Feature Please, April Voyage for the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. Peter, I hope you're as refreshed as I am after the viewing experience that we had watching this week's episode. I am feeling, like, invigorated to talk nerdy, deep Trek takes for the first time in what feels like a while. Yeah, this was uh, a lot of cool stuff going on here, and I want to start by saying that I thought it was very bold of this this production specifically to jump as deep in the sci-fi waters as they did without playing catch up for, Hey, this is who this character is. And this is what they're about. I mean, we're dealing with a bottle 
format Voyager production here, and they go real deep in the weeds on characters, motivations, and a lot of established stuff. So um, let's just let's get right into it, man. Season three, episode twenty-one, before and after. So as I mentioned, this is uh, definitely the best cast episode. I would consider it one of Voyager's better, if not like top ten material of all of their entries. I've rewatched this last couple of years. It lived up to the hype uh, that I set for it myself in watching it again. And I think the tight storytelling that we see here uh, lends itself to it because we are focused entirely on this episode on one narrative. And that is something is happening to Kess. And it starts off in a weird place. It's kind of where... weird. You, you bringing that up. It's rare that we get a Star Trek Voyager episode that does not have a B plot. It's not only rare that we don't have a B plot. It is that we see this entirely from one character's perspective. We know we never see what happens when Kess is not in the room. So. Yeah. We experience this not just with no B plot. We experience it without any like other characters' perspectives. Uh, it's something I referenced in our skit that we opened with. Is that, uh, and I was pleased to see that this was referenced in the uh, memory alpha as well. Is that uh, this bears a strong resemblance to the method of nonlinear storytelling in the book Sl- Slaughterhouse Five, is a Kurt Vonnegut book. A lot of people had to read it in high school. I know I did, but. Uh, if you haven't, it's a very good book uh, in which the main character experiences his life out of order uh, for a lot of reasons that I don't want to spoil. You should just read it. Clearly, it's linear this time, but it's kind of in reverse. And the story tells you very little about what's going on until you get halfway through. And you're left just to kind of figure it out along with Kess, which adds to the depth of the storytelling that's taking place. And for this first scene, you don't get any information. It's just, we're in a bio bed. The doctor's there, but he has hair. There's some kids. There's some kid there. An Asian kid. Very annoying kid. (laughs) Very annoying Asian child. Right off the bat. First thing they give you is the worst part of this episode. Both barrels of them. (laughs) Child actors, man, it's feast or famine, and this in Voyager, Ugh. it's often famine. Mm. And there's a, a blonde lady there. We don't know who she is, and we hear Tom Paris's voice saying that they, you know, they all needed to leave. Specifically, that uh, whoever these people are are her family, and there's a little dialogue between her and the having now hair doctor. And then it flashes back again. And now it's the same annoying Asian boy who is approaching. What we see is Kess in some pretty good old lady makeup. Like, not the best I've ever seen. You can kind of see the crease marks of, like, the prosthetics when she turns her head a lot. But they do a decent enough job that it doesn't, like, it's not glaringly bad. It's serviceable. You, you serviceable, get the point. Yeah. You're not going to win any awards, but it's okay. Kess is old. We get it. She doesn't look like she's wearing a trash bag on her face. And uh, I can live with this makeup. Her hair, though. A lot of stuff going on with hair in this episode. Her hair when she's an old lady 
reminds me of Mac from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, his chain-smoking mom. <laughs> okay, yeah. Who was also the grandma from Napoleon Dynamite. And as we get deeper in this episode, I think this is the episode where they really start to debut uh, the Kess as a long hair having person. And I guess the reason they do this is because she has bad allergic reactions to the makeup they use to put her ear on. And they're just like, well, you're just going to start wearing your hair down and no more ears for you. Well, you know, it's kind of nice that they did that. Um, She's got limited time left on the show, so they want to make it comfortable. Might as well. Um, They the the show. The premise starts to set up very quickly that we're obviously in the future, but they don't say this is the future. They imply it's the future by little things. In the first scene, Kes is being called grandma by this Asian boy. The doctor is clearly different, both in personality and appearance, and Kes is herself old. She... It seems confused. There's the sense of senality is is suggested right off the bat as to what's going on just by kind of the setup. And they don't dwell long on that scene before they flash back again. Quantum leap. Let's let's call it what it is. Yeah, let's call it what it is. Kess is quantum leaping through her own life. And she's going backwards. And... The next spot she lands in, she's in her quarters and she comes out and there's the young woman that's in the blue science uniform, the annoying boy. And we start to kind of get the pieces of what's going on here. This is her family. The blonde lady is her daughter. The Asian boy is his uh, her grandson. And it is several years into the future from which we have currently been experiencing Star Trek Voyager. So the measuring stick in this episode is how old is Kess? And when we last saw Kess in um, the booby trap, whatever episode name that was actually supposed to be. Oh, favorite Favorite son. son. She was what, about three, three years and one month ish old. Yeah, just over three. And in this point in time now, she's nine years old. So this is six years from the last time we touched uh, Kess. There is a lot of weird stuff going on here. And again, my hat's off to them for writing as boldly as they are here. We've seen a lot of surprise time travel situations in Star Trek across all of the franchises. And, you know, Aging characters gives you that sticker shock of like, oh, my God, we're pretty far. Look at all the gray hairs in Riker's beard. Look at how terrible, you know, Picard looks. Look, Jordy has magic robot eyes now. And they do that a little bit with Kess's appearance. Like we said, she's very elderly looking. But because of Ocampan physiology, the fact they hyperage these space mayflies, as we're always joking about, she looks old as hell. But we're not talking about like crazy future it's it's six years that's not that's not that far in the future so she's kind of creating this false expectation that we are wildly in the future and we're really not i mean for most part everything else around voyager is more or less the same minus some very big staffing changes 
Yeah, and the way they introduce those staffing changes is done in a way that is clearly like pointed out in the sense that they address it specifically by name with Captain Chicote, but also the rank insignia for a lot of the characters has changed. Uh, you, when we next see Tom, he's got Lieutenant Commander level pips on his collar. Harry Kim's has Lieutenant. Uh, Tuvok has full commander, even uh, though he's still command or you know operations gold. Which well, you know they they got one fitted jumpsuit for Tim Ross. <laughs> They're not making a second just for this. Episode. Look, Tim, you can either wear your baked potato outfit, your standard Tuvok, or you can put on the high tops and get back into your training mode. And he's like, mm, I'll stay in the gold. I want to talk about Chakotay here. And again, you know, the Voyager crew has swept the Starfleet Maquis division under the rug at this point. And I think they've 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 done a good enough job addressing it. But you've always had Janeway laying around, right? Yeah, it might rub you the wrong way that your boss, uh, your engineering chief is a Maquis or the the EXO is now a Maquis, but do you think that there would be any any reservation at all anywhere in the crew, the Starfleet crew goes, God, this Maquis terrorist just just took over. He just inherited the ship. Like it was fine, you know, I was fine marching along with him while he was XO and Janeway was there. But now I mean he's got both hands on the steering wheel and this is his ship. It is a bit of a shame that we don't have the opportunity to do that, but I think the story would have suffered by going down those roads. I don't think they should have. It's just, it's, it's just one of those thought experiments. I think Voyager puts out there sometimes that's neat to reach out and touch on. Believe it or not, we're going to get a little touch on that in the not too distant future. So, you know, hold on to that thought. It will, you'll get to scratch it a little bit. In this episode, though, they keep things so tight that I think it's better that we just don't go into that because it's not important to this story. The other cool thing that they're doing without even specifically spelling it out, but it's still very evident on screen, is as Kess moves back in time, not only is she bringing more memories of the future with her, but the body that she is living in in that moment is in a very clearly different state, not only in visible aging, uh, but in mental faculty and and mental health. And the first two quantum leaps that she takes here where she's in her oldest states, she doesn't know anybody. She can't recognize her grandson. She doesn't know the doctor. She doesn't know her own daughter, her own name, whatever. The next leap back, she's got more of it. So not only is she dealing with like the temporal Swiss cheesiness of all of this, but is the body she's living in like currently just senile? And that's the problem for, I would say, the first fourth of the episode. And I thought it was really cool that they heaped all of that on her plate as well as the disorientation of time travel. Yeah, they, they for the first act, they really, again, I, I always love saying this when they do it because it's such a rare treat. They don't, like, tell you that. They show you that. They show you that Kess is struggling with a failing mind while also dealing with the confusion of her current situation. And it isn't until she reaches a point in her physiology where it's no longer holding her back from expressing herself that she really starts to get traction in dealing with the problem. 
what's the right way to describe it? Everyone patronizes her mm. at first because she's old and, you know, they're chalking up her confusion and what she's trying to express just to her relative senality uh, rather than rather than take seriously like what she's telling them, which I thought was a neat point. And once she kind of crests that reverse event horizon where she's no longer known to be, you know, senile or on the verge of senality that, oh, yeah, all of a sudden everyone's taking what she's saying seriously. Yeah. But, and there's also, a, a you know, we'll get to that when we hit that point of the episode. But when she when she does get real traction with the crew and says, hey, I'm traveling back in time and here's this real crazy thing. Everybody's like, yeah, I can get on board with it. It's clear that she's got a greater command of her mental faculty and and it can be much more precise in in building that case. While she's old, though, and how cool would it have been going back into the uh, the Logan movie? Kess is an amazing uh, psychic, right? Yep. And they even referenced that in this episode uh, to like the power that we saw in Warlord, where she's just cooking people's brains on a whim. Uh, if she had become this old Professor X figure that was no longer in control and just accidentally murdering people and had to be secluded off to some corner of the ship because she was so dangerous. Just wait. That's all I'll say. Fair enough. I guess we're glossing over some important points. We are we establish after the second jump and we start to see characters again that Cass at some point got married to Tom Paris. She had a daughter with Tom Paris, who is the young woman in the blue science uniform named Linus, who's pretty who's, awesome. Yeah, who's a an accomplished scientist at this point in the timeline. She's half a comp. And so despite the fact that she's, I guess, like I, you would probably say like four or so four or five uh, she is uh they establish it she's like i think they said she was like three so whatever her age is she's got that accelerated ocompan physiology so she has come to maturity very quickly and she's uh, an adult science officer working on the ship and andrew's uh, her grandson the annoying asian child and uh, of course because we know that this is an annoying asian child and the ship has a merely one asian upon it <laughs> At some point, Harry Kim uh, pulled a Jacob Black and fell in love with a fuck, fucking baby, I guess. I don't know. And slid right into Linus and uh, and made uh, one quarter Ocomp and three quarter human children. Let's just talk about this right now. Yes, can we? <laughs> and I just want to say as a precursor because I, I pay attention to the uniforms and stuff. Did you notice that every like there's a lot of people in Starfleet uniforms? Yeah. None of them have uh, ranks like all the people that are new additions of the crew. Nobody has pips. They don't even have like provisional insignia. It's not entirely true. Did you notice that Neelix has ensign pips? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I noticed okay. uh, that. So but Neelix uh, is Linus an officer. And some of the other ones uh, at some of these parties didn't. This timeline, Tom Paris falls in love with Kess. Yes. They get married. Yes. As they're getting married. Harry Kim is Tom's best man. Correct. Tom and Kess have a baby. Yes, they do. Harry, Tom's best man, watches this baby grow up into a full-grown woman in under a year because that's what Ocompans do, right? Correct. Tom's best man bangs (laughs) Tom's daughter. 
who is yes. a year old. That is correct. Neelix ain't got shit on Harry Kim. <laughs> Tom's best friend, Harry, gives him a grandkid with his one-year-old daughter. And this is what's these guys who work in the same place. They got to look at each other all day. know that yeah. Tom, that Harry Kim banged Tom Paris's one-year-old daughter. Yeah, I mean... And made the very annoying child that now plagues a ship on a level that Wesley Crusher couldn't even touch. First of all, it's got to be weird for Tom to have an adult daughter. A hot adult daughter. I mean, within a matter of a couple years, you know, period. Think about what could have happened. Think about the frequency in which Tom Paris is incarcerated in the Delta Quadrant. Do you know how high the probability is that they had that kid and then Tom got put under house arrest on some shithead planet for like two weeks and came back up to the ship and had like an 18 year old on his hands. <laughs> At least that it only lasted for a few days. I mean, you know, and then she's 23, but yeah, I mean the, the, the mind bending, you know, issue of, Oh yeah, I have a kid and my kid is an adult, like almost instantaneously. And I have no idea how long they're going to live because it's the first and possibly only human Ocompen hybrid ever. But on top of that, she's a an attractive young lady, and my best friend has decided to to bang her and marry her. And that I mean, just the the mind reels at the therapy that would be necessary in this in this weird situation people want to shit bricks about the fact that mutant tom banged mutant janeway and had catfish babies i don't see any crazy memes about harry kim humping tom's one-year-old daughter (laughs) okay threshold doesn't have shit on the insanity going on here they uh they unfortunately do not have time to go into the um, probably amazing family therapy sessions that are taking place as Cass has jumped back. Now she jumps back to her actual ninth birthday party, which I want to point out had my favorite piece of, of Voyager continuity that I have seen to date. And that is yeah. that the cake, the cake that Neelix serves at this party is the exact same nine layer fudge cake that gets served at Kess's second birthday party in the episode Twisted that I will never forget because it is terrible. Same cake. Not only same cake, same director. I'm sorry, same writer. This is a Kenneth Biller product. And it's like all of a sudden Voyager has opened its eyes and said, it's okay to be self-referential. And it's okay to look at the things that we've done in our past episodes and play off of that. And it is all over the place in this. This guy has mad callback to his own work. You got your cake mentioned there. There's uh, all sorts of shades of elogium. And in fact, the uh, the 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 final stage of incompetent life we establish here as the morologium. Correct. Which thank you, Kenneth Biller, for not calling this episode morologium because then it would have been very traumatic for me to have to hear the word elogium <laughs> in anything. But. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of callback here. And my favorite part of that scene was uh, when she blows out the candles. Neelix, who, again, as you pointed out, is sport in a security uniform, like reaches over and taps her on the shoulder and goes, uh, you know, 
nice, uh, nice, nice job blowing those candles out. That lung has still got it. Yep. Yep. Singular. Something else before we go deeper on this. How perfect would it be to breed Kess on the ship or other Ocampans? If you're in for the long haul like Voyagers and you're losing crew members and you don't have the luxury of like Starfleet Academy and this other stuff, and you could have new crew members basically up and running within a one year span who are trained to expert levels like her daughter is like, that could be a hell of a, a Starfleet fix a flat. I mean, in this specific situation, it's even better than it would be normally. I mean, agreed. It's uh, it, it's one of those things that if we were doing this in the more realism sense, mm-hmm. we would probably consider. But because, of course, we're doing this in the PG Star Trek way, <laughs> we don't. Um, Cass, thank you for coming to my office. Can I get you some tea or perhaps soup in a cup? You know, I like soup in a cup. Anyways, what I want to talk to you about was this uh, real swell eugenics program that uh, Tuvok and I have come up with a controlled breeding plan. I need you to pick five names off this list, and these are going to be your new husbands. <laughs> I, I need to breed you like a brood mare. <laughs> uh, so, you down in cargo hold three, you know, your old botany bay suspended from the uh, ceiling. I don't know if you ever saw aliens, but uh, yeah, there's gonna be a bunch of eggs and you and sacks and don't worry, we'll keep Ripley away. What we see from this point forward is first Kess and then the rest of the characters start to put together what has happened. She is now in a state where she has greater command of her mental uh, faculties and explains to the doctor, who strangely, for a couple of the jumps there, was going by Van Gogh. Thankfully, that has stopped. S- stupid. And uh, Captain Chakotay, as he's introduced, uh, that he, she is unstuck in time. They are buying that she is unstuck in time because she's able to tell the doctor about a thing he has told no one else about yet. And that is that they were going to treat her impending old age issues with a uh, a special uh, time chamber uh, stasis treatment. And they initially theorized that perhaps this is a form of precognition, which is a callback and expi- they explicitly point out like Kessler has crazy uh, mental f- uh, fact uh, abilities. She's been able to use, you know, uh, telekinesis, telepathy, so maybe this is some new power she's unlocking. Uh, you know, they they start to scan for temporal issues. They, you know, try to figure out what's going on. And then um, ultimately uh, also start to investigate if there's some sort of time issue happening on the ship to kind of explain what's happening. And through Cass's own investigation into her past is when we start to get important information about the timeline that Kess has experienced that well she is going to experience as she goes back through her life the central thing that is going to come to light through all of this is uh from what i was able to piece together what will ultimately become the the year of hell plot line um they named the aliens names which is what the the kremen yes so the the key fulcrum of the story is that in the past closer to the present of Voyager that we have seen but still 
in the future of that time, Voyager will encounter a race called the Kremen. They have chronoton-based weaponry. A chronoton torpedo uh, pierced the hull at some point and caused everyone to get chronoton radiation. And this this uh, experience they called the Year of Hell also killed a lot of the crew members, including Captain Janeway. Uh, Joe Carey is name-checked. <laughs> Just out of fucking nowhere. Someone we haven't seen <laughs> since season one. Joe Carey. Yeah, remember him, guys? Yeah, he died. Whatever. He doesn't get to be on screen, but we'll talk about how he died. And Balana all died. And it's also where we get the understanding of how Tom came to be with Kess. You know, they had the early flirtatious stuff, which Tom mentions in his conversation. Again, good continuity. And that in his grief over Bolana's passing, he drifts towards a relationship with Kess and they ultimately, you know, get together. Speaking of radiation poisoning and this episode, you know, this is the best time I think for me to watch us. I've been watching Chernobyl on HBO. Have you touched this at all yet? I unsubscribed from HBO now in a fit of rage after. Well, if you get a chance to watch Chernobyl, fucking watch it because it is amazing. And man, their radiation burn work that they do with the special effects in there is the stuff of nightmares. Uh, Thresholds ain't got shit on what happens in that. Um, But them forecasting these bad things that are to come. I've got questions because this is very unlike Voyager. I mean, we haven't seen uh, seeding of plot devices like this since the Seska arc. Uh, was this a one-off episode? And they said, hey, there's a lot of cool stuff we talk about in this. What if we flesh it all out? Or was this an intentional um, foreshadowing of episodes they already knew that they wanted to make? stories they wanted to tell i can't actually accurately tell you if they planned to actually you know what i i'm i can they did know they wanted to to do episodes about the kremen at this point what they changed was when they were going to do them because this was initially supposed to be followed up on very quickly and ultimately, it wasn't until next season that they do the Year of Hell, which is directly referenced here. Because I'm looking at Kenneth Biller's writing credits, and he doesn't have anything to do with Year of Hell on here. Yeah, they. That's I mean, if I'm re- if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, they did know that they wanted to do the Year of Hell. This was a purposeful reference. What? But they. Uh, initially they thought that they were going to be following up on it sooner with Kess still on the show, Mm. which ultimately is not the case. So uh, I think that creates some issues for them later on, but yes, this was created with the intention of following up on the whole Kremen year of hell thing. Now we did a, a little skit at the beginning of this episode. Um, and it's because it was such a jarring part of what I actually watch here. This is a great episode. I love it. I'd say it's one of my top three Kess episodes. I did really like Warlord and Cold Fire a lot, so I'm not willing to say this is necessarily the best, but this is some great Star Trek unfolding here with a lot of, again, uh, reverence to events that have happened in Voyager's past and them playing 
with things that they've done. But man, there is no fucks given about contaminating the timeline, changing the future, time space paradox or anything like that. Kess is like, hey, here's the future. Janeway's going to die. And, uh, you know, Captain Chakotay this and, uh, you know, time. Chrono Trigger torpedoes that. <laughs> here's here's all this this Easter basket full of uh, spoilers I've brought back with me from the future. I do think that and nobody they, cares. Everybody's just like, oh, sta- tell me more. They they the excuse they give at the end I think fits because it's exactly the same excuse Picard gave. Uh, you know, I to spoil i guess to say the conversation happens at the end the justification for talking about the events that kes experienced was that they are not the future they are a potential version of the future and so because obviously that future will be changed by the fact they now have foreknowledge of that future by the nature of helping kes to begin with like it was impossible for them not to know that you know, she's experienced this chronoton shit because that's what's wrong with her. Ultimately, uh, they might as well talk about it so they can avoid it because now that future already isn't going to happen that way. So yeah, I, I think that but... excuse holds water because a potential future and not the actual future. But I understand like this is when you get into trouble with time travel plots and science fiction to begin with. And that's why the fact that there's these hard rules sometimes and then they don't exist other times doesn't make any fucking sense. I get where you're going. But I think like, that for this Picard story. When did it, the whole universe and and the entirety of the human civilization laid in his hands. So I get bending the rules on that. And this one, really the only exposure here is a space mayfly who is going to die in six years anyways of natural causes. So everybody just feel like oh yeah let's violate everything for that and even at the end when they're like well you know the future hasn't been shaped and blah 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 so we you know we just bent the rules we didn't break them oh hey by the way go fill out a tactical report on these kremlin guys so we've got advanced working knowledge and can formulate plans so when they fight us we've got the upper hand out of the gate let's really formalize this and milk it for all it's worth like we don't personal romance whatever we need advanced tactical data on this stuff and I'm not saying that we should. It's not right to hold the candy corn tragedy time and time again um, as a great example of Janeway interacting with a time travel situation. But we've established that she's pretty hard and fast on these temporal rules because we've touched time travel. a lot. I mean, we used to joke what the first three out of four episodes of Voyager were all some sort of time travel nonsense. Which was a real kicker, too, because Janeway's like, I've never seen anything like this. Like, Janeway, where have you been the first two seasons, dog? (laughs) You've seen tons of zanier stuff than this. Unless the zany stuff you're talking about is Harry Kim banging Tom Paris's one-year-old daughter. (laughs) I mean, that could be the part of the story. She's like, I'm sorry, (laughs) what is this fucking polycube shit that you might remember is going to be up to? (laughs) Oh, thanks for letting me know. I'm not going to let that weird almost feels like incest shit happen. Go get the employee handbook. We got to revise some fraternization rules here. We got to establish some minimum age limits. Um, Not good. Not good. But anyway, she starts dishing pretty hard on hey, here's this future threat. This is what's going to cause a situation for me. 
Uh, also, be really careful around these guys. But here's my problem. And it starts becoming this fun game of as soon as she can get the people in her current time frame to believe her story and start actively working towards a solution. And this reminds me of uh, time and again, right? The, the temporal loop episode from next gen where they start getting clued into what's going on and they jump to conclusion faster and faster to try and beat this problem. You know, every time she gets close to making real progress, she quantum leaps back to a previous state and kind of has to start all over again. The setup is, I don't, I don't, I think they find the right balance with that element of the story. There's a believability to how, as time goes on, she, she manages to more quickly convince everybody because she has better command of what's going on. Uh, I think they did a good job of balancing that without making it seem too uh, repetitive because you're also like wanting to know about this past that she is now experiencing in seeing what actually happened to everybody after hearing about it in a prior scene, which is ultimately what happens. She bounces from kind of older age to uh, just six months prior to that, when she still looked like you got Farrah Fawcett hair going and still looked like her younger self. So apparently fucking Ocampin's age all at once. <laughs> it's not graceful, but I guess that's what they do. When Surprise, they Tom. Hey, are you sure you want to get uh, on board with this? <laughs> And then after that, after she gets the download of information uh, to the doctor immediately after hitting that time uh, frame, you know, she, uh, you know, they discover that the issue is that um, it's that she was irradiated with the chroniton particles uh, as a consequence of the chroniton torpedo from the Kremen. And the fact that they put her in this this temporal chamber in the future is what caused her to get unstuck in time is that she was radiated with this. They got inoculated, but the, the, the bad time juju was still in her. And then the doctor, not thinking of that, put her in a time chamber to try to preserve her life. But instead it's taking her out of phase with everyone else's timeline. And they've got to reintegrate her with at some point, or she's going to go all the way back to when she doesn't exist. Which again, you know, there's been a lot of times where Janeway and other Starfleet people have just said, well, these are the rules and we're going to have to live with them. And you got to go down with the ship or this might seem like a raw deal, but we cannot breach the prime directive or temporal rules or whatever. Like she lives a full life, right? She lives until she's nine something. The myologium takes her. They have a last stitch play to try and give her another year or so. There's an accident. She gets sent back in time. It's not really that bad of a way to go out. Like if I was Chakotay, I'd be like, listen, I'm looking at this on paper. You should have died. And instead, you've got a pretty cool experience where you're going back and being able to relive some of the best times of your life and say goodbye to everybody. Like this isn't really a life threatening event you're dealing with. You you lived. You died. You should just be fucking happy that some parasitic brain alien isn't trying to suck you off to hell. Because that's a thing in the Delta Quadrant. Demons. Brain-eating demons. They're going to get you. L- literally trying to, to claim your soul. You uh, sure that was your par- dad at the end of the episode? Because that could have been that, that squirrely little guy just chilling out deep in the cut. Uh, hey, hey. That, that, uh, Kess's dad was way too fit to be the squirrely demon man. To you be fair. Be a, a fat elderly man. To be yeah, a squirrely and demon. an ill-fitted admiral uniform. 
Did you notice when they they roll her dad out, they changed his name? No, I didn't. Because they specifically call out who who did she give the name to? Because then the doctor gets butt hurt. She never that Kess never suggested her dad's name to the doctor. I totally forgot that detail. To be honest with you, That's, I'm impressed you remembered. Yeah, I know my Kess. Well, speaking of who knows uh, her her Kess, it's Kess. That was a bad transition. I apologize to everyone who just heard that. I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna transition this for you. One one last side detour here. Speaking of being out of place and dated, a big part of this episode callback is uh, a picture by the side of her bed where she is holding uh, her daughter and they go to that exact moment when that photo was taken. And it was, man, it's, it's holding her, her, her grandson, her grandson, her a very annoying grandson. Do you see the fucking digital camera they take this picture with? Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Star Trek has put some really fantastic technology out there that has realized in in real life, right? Face to face video communications, medical beds, uh, iPads, you know, and yet their rendition of what a digital camera is is about the size of your average keyboard. (laughs) It's a bit of a miss when it comes to what camera technology is going to look like 500 years in the future, admittedly. Can't win them all, but you know what? It, it works as a plot device. It gives you a side post of the transitions that Kess is going through in the story. It works for what it's supposed to. Mm. And Kess is uh, in this kind of still in the relatively into the future uh, point, really trying to stabilize her situation, but uh, unfortunately does not work out. And she gets bounced back again in time. But this time it's much closer to the time we know. It, it's a time when, uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's a quick moment where she gives birth. She gives birth to her daughter in a shuttlecraft with Tom. Some and real apparently, cheeky dialogue, too. Yeah, like, oh, you should have come on a supply run. You know, you should have been back on Voyager. We talk a lot about her uniforms, and she's got some pretty good ones in this, you know, civilian clothes. She's out of her... Uh, velvet cat suit phase, but I really like when she's giving birth. Her uniform appears to be a beach towel with a com badge on it wrapped around her. Yes. <laughs> Question. Jumping back into the Harry Tom Ocampa sexy time. Does this mean that Tom spent three days like hand glued with Kess to get her pregnant? And that, you know, we we don't know, you know, like what the human Ocampan mating situation looks like. I know what the Elogium looked like, and it was an ugly, boring episode. And if Tom had to sit through that, man, I feel bad. You know, you never know. You never know, like, maybe maybe humans and Ocampans have to differ differently than, you know, if she fucked a space cat. Like, it could be that she just was doing that to, you know. Scare him off get him away and then she's like tom comes around and she's like yeah you know no we're just gonna fuck that's actually how we make new comp and we don't do any of this hand-holding crap i just told neelix that so he could take his filthy space cat ass out of my room I i'm gonna i'm gonna do everybody at home a favor and we're not even gonna discuss what happened between lena and uh harry <laughs> we'll leave so, that one to the the scummy corners of the internet i'm sure there's fan fiction somewhere Stop. I could find it. No, you will not. My wife could find it. You, you know you want it. No, I absolutely don't. I, I <laughs> dare say that's illegal. 
My God, so, she's one. <laughs> Kess bounces next to a point that uh, she is at the uh, the Polynesian Resort hologram, uh, complete with like buff dudes in the background with like painted on that's pseudo- dong straps. Is that dong straps? That's dong straps. And he is all up in that background, walking back and forth. My wife's like, what the hell is that guy wearing? I'm like, oh, it's dong straps. We don't talk <laughs> about it. Eastern European approved dong straps. Uh, we've been scolded. Uh, that Yes. Let's, no, let's... we haven't. No, that's totally that's totally OK in Eastern Europe. And none of our oh, Darius none of our listeners. Yeah, Darius said it was fine. He said, it was totally he said he's got four of them. I, yeah, I think the real culprit here do. for the banana hammocks might actually be South America. I don't know if you have any South American listeners, but we'll we'll pass the dog. We're going to find out. Like, we're going to get some angry emails if we do. <laughs> man, Brazil loves Darius you, too, was, right? Darius was. Yeah, yeah. I love South America. We I'm got my Brazil credit. Yeah, yeah. You never know. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, we, we, we asked Darius, one of our fans who happens to live in that particular region, because, you know, based on stereotypes, we're wondering if that the dong straps thing would be OK. And he's like, "Ew, no, that's not OK anywhere. What's wrong with you, Americans? Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe South America, you know, show us where we're wrong. Brazilian listeners, you know how much I love you anyway. She's not in the re- resort hologram, and actually, Bolana comes in, obviously alive, kisses Tom Paris, which uh, Kess is like, "What? Oh yeah, you must be Bolana," because she's still doesn't actually have memories of her life. She's learning things about her life, but she doesn't remember anything from her past. So some of these people, no, oh, I don't know who you are. You died, as far as I was aware. And this is when the Kremen actually attack. She starts to shout out warnings to everybody of like, this is who these motherfuckers are. This is how they're attacking you. This is how we beat it. And there's an unfortunate circumstance. And that is Tuvok has packed too many IEDs into the engineering computer station. And as she's in the middle of explaining this to both Bolana and Captain Janeway, they all go off at the same time and we get a tragic double kill of the en- engineering IEDs yeah. that are buried in the 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 uh, the computer panels, yeah. and the Kremen them uh, both the Kremen bogos them. Yeah, buy one get one, man. Yeah. Just boom, boom, done. It's a sad moment. I like that. There is no hesitation to take this tactical data and just run with it. And that's another fun thing that we're building about the Voyager crew is proof schmoof. <laughs> If Harry Kim says, hey, fly to the third planet from the sun, uh, because I got a gut feeling if if people are just shooting from the hip and blown up aliens saying hello, if your space elf nurse tells you that someone's shooting time traveling photon torpedoes, you know what? Fuck it. Just roll with it. You got you got a 98 percent chance they're not bullshitting you. Just go with it. Enough weird shit has happened that we're just going to take you at your word. Absolutely. You're not a liar. I mean, uh, we've we've talked shit in the past about why they don't accept weird explanations more. And now they are. So, you know what? Good job. Good oh, what, job. T- uh, time traveling photon torpedoes that can bypass our shields. Well, it's not weirder than the time the ship got split in two and I thought we were all going to die and I was going to blow the ship up. And then the good Voyager 
got ransacked by Nazi organ thieves, and uh, we barely survived with a <laughs> with a loaned Harry Kim in tow. Sure. It, it's not weirder than the time the entire ship had their minds hijacked by a random space, you know, brain rapist. Who, you know, showed us all of our fantasy sexy times and then mm-hmm. had to be psychically destroyed by, by this same uh, woman telling us what's up here. You know yeah, what? She's got credibility. Hey, Tuvix. It's, Anybody it's remember weirder than the? It must be a weird. Wednesday. Let's just go with this. It's, it's not weirder than the time a space rock teleported us across the entire galaxy. Hey, Joe. Do you remember that time we took the God race Q continuum? and held them at gunpoint like we were sticking them up behind a liquor store and made them submit to the will of humanity? Do you remember that? Remember Tom, Tom, Tom Paris was dressed like a, like, a, like a union officer. Remember that whole... Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the Q cosplay when they're fighting their civil wars. Jesus Christ, this show... <laughs> Hey, anyways, what we just touch on here? Twisted, Tuvix, the Q and the Gray, Elogium, all Kenneth Biller. We're all in genre. This is all continuity, folks. This is all canon. This is all Biller canon. Cass has to find the exact frequency of the Chronoton Torpedo in order to cure her of her time aids, essentially. And this is the moment where it gets lodged into the, the hall and everyone starts to get irradiated by it. So she takes the opportunity to crawl through the Jeffrey's tubes, find it, and use a tricorder to identify the exact frequency that it is is vibrating at, which is 1.47 microseconds, so that she can tell, you know, her – tell everybody on the next time jump, hey, this is what's going on. This is how you fix it, and here's the exact frequency. She's successful. She gets it. She passes out, transports back further in time, happens to be, gosh darn it, right at the time that we're currently watching Voyager, the present, if you will, and tells the doctor, ha, this is what the, this is the thing you're going to need. And then it explains the whole plot off camera and they start to try and treat her illness. So she dies of radiation poisoning, like. That was pretty ballsy for her to expect that she was going to quantum leap before she dies of debilitating radiation poisoning. Also, a lot of times we deal with time travel. It's things that take place in that exact moment spin off into alternate timelines left and right. What a mess she's making of these other people's lives, specifically the moment where she gets these particle frequency numbers by just taking that version of her and running her to her death. It's definitely, like you said, it's um some deep stuff. It is a ballsy move. The The episode does not dwell on it. It doesn't have the time because it is obviously trying to wrap the situation up. But uh, yeah, she, she bets it all on being able to get that information and time jump before she actually just croaks. But that's how it goes down. I like that they have a whole senior staff meeting in the conference room where they explain the plot to the audience. And it's like, you know, you're dealing with a very limited time situation here and you don't know when your quantum leaps coming up. So maybe we just do the procedure instead of getting everybody up there and spending half an hour (laughs) or however long that meeting's going to take 
to to flesh it all out. But eventually they get her in her iron lung. The doctor starts doing his thing. And right as he's about to complete the operation, wouldn't you know it? Quantum leap. The next jump that happens is actually to a point that is when Cass is a kid still on the Ocompan head planet. She goes back to her initial meeting with the. uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah. That that's really cool too because they make her hair and her costume look like it looked in the first episode. Yeah. So a very cool continuity nod is the next jump is to the pilot, and she is with uh, Neelix trying to kind of book package passage with themselves on Voyager, and she's got the the pixie cut and that kind of season one clingy uh, outfit on, and you know she's really upset because like she was obviously close to getting cured, but it looks like it's not going to work. And now she's kind of beyond the point where she has credibility to convince everybody what's happening to her. We are in full crazy time. And I love this scene for, for a couple reasons, because we've seen this in, in science fiction before. Like you said, she is no longer a reputable or credible source. And what she is saying just looks, looks insane. She's like, hey, uh, Janeway, I know we're complete strangers, but I'm traveling back in time and I need your help to stabilize myself because six years from now. And she just lays it all on the table. And Neelix looks at her because he's trying to like hard sell Janeway on like, hey, why don't you bring a space cat and an elf onto your ship and let us just freeload and give us free reign? Huh? Huh? And she starts talking this craziness and Janeway just looks at her. He tries to move in to do his damage control. And she's like, chill out, cat. I want to help this woman. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. I love time travel plots. Please, this is season one. Give me more of what you're talking about. So time jump from there happens quickly. They they let you kind of like establish through contact clues what's happening. She gets frustrated. She flashes back to when she's a kid. Now, of course, there's no hope. Her dad is thinking that she's joking about, you know, going to the surface and seeing the stars and being a kid. Her fake dad. Her not real dad. And then they actually flash back to her being born and then being conceived, I think. What Star Trek Voyager appears to be doing is faking the audience out into thinking that the doctor failed and the worst case scenario has just happened, which... Again, in my book, this is a pretty acceptable and cool way to go out. Like, we're all going to die. You're a space mayfly. You're going to die at nine years. How great that you get to go back in time and see all your friends, you know, regain your mental faculties and and Benjamin Button your your way to death instead of how most of these guys are going. Right. Exactly. Uh, Being eaten by some sort of space slug. poorly CGI'd space slug and you know the baby CGI here not the worst that we've seen so she's a baby and then you know just backwards for embryonic until she's just a couple cells dividing and uh, for a moment there it's like again it's the Tasha Yar thing like people do occasionally die and get written off the show and what a crazy way (laughs) to get rid of a character than just to say hey you just uh you just got unborn. See you later. But that's not what happens. We start moving back forward in time to cells replicating birth and all the scenes we just saw. It's a pretty neat little clip show tactic we get of reusing footage uh, until we work our way back up to the point where we were in the current. Uh, the doctor had begun doing the the iron lung treatment. 
and is able to save the day uh, and and keep Kess anchored. So they wrap on a, another Polynesian resort scene where they start, as we already kind of demoed, talking about the fact that they were talking about this potential future and that because it's a potential future that doesn't necessarily represent a danger to the time-space continuum for them to do so. And Kess ultimately is persuaded to write a report about um, the tactical uh, implications of her experience with uh, the year of hell. And she does so with the cheesiest line possible. Well, I've learned through this experience, there's no time like the present. And everyone has like a sitcom laugh at the end. Ha! Crazy Kess. Ha, 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 ha. So it's got a cheesy ending, but overall it's great high concept science fiction that shows rather than tells uh, confines the viewer to one perspective for the sake of drama and does some bold things that make a lot of sense and aren't just kind of nuts aside from of course the fact that <laughs> Tom Tom's best friend is banging his daughter who was probably like one or two at the time uh, <laughs> what was the episode where Neelix throws uh, Jonas into space hell I don't remember the name of the episode. I remember we called it uh, uh, Murder Cat First Blood. That, I think, was the first time in Voyager that we had an episode that was forced to a certain perspective for the entire narrative. Right. Like, we saw that entirely from Neelix's point of view. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a good one. And I think this one certainly did a better job of it. But I want to <clears throat> I want to circle back around to Lena Paris, which is Kess's daughter. I thought she was awesome. I thought she was a great guest star. And I think that she would be a really cool character for them to somehow work in as a replacement for Kess down the road. Just some sort of alternate timeline crossing and dump her back in there because everything she did seemed really well acted. And I think it would have been a strong crew addition with a weird tinge to it. Uh, I would have liked to see more of her. Unfortunately, I'm looking at her. IMDb entry. It looks like this is her only foray into Star Trek, but uh, good guest star. Yeah, she she was interesting. That it was unfortunate we only got like fifteen minutes with her. She was an interesting idea, and like for the taste we got of her, I I too wish they would have been able to do more with her, but they couldn't. And this is kind of our our one go at this idea. Uh, but it's a good one. I, I consider this the best cast episode. As good as Warlord is, I feel like this was telling a more uh, complex and layered sci-fi story. Uh, I would say Warlord is fantastic, but I rate this a little bit higher. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a fitting, I don't want to say send-off for Kess. Because obviously she's still on the show for a little bit longer, but it's definitely the last time that we are focused in on her in this way. And uh, I think the fact that it's an episode about a potential future she could have lived to be uh, particularly apt in a way that may not have been intended at the time. Well, it's certainly out of the normal wheelhouse for Voyager. Uh, and it's very rare for Voyager to tell a good if not great time travel story so 
uh, time well spent on my end, and I certainly appreciated the performances out of everybody. And uh, except for you, Asian child, you were man, the worst. this kid's voice too. If you thought young Picard from Rascals had a bad voice, just wait till you get a load of this guy. If you've never seen this episode, I mean, obviously rush out and watch it right now. This is this is some prime Trek. This is great high concept Trek tonight. You know, two solid thumbs up from my from my end. Anything else you want to say on this one, Joe? No, I'm good. Except, of course, to know uh, what are we watching next week? We got season three, episode twenty two. So uh, the doctor bald and he's got some sort of light proby things trying to jab you in the eye with real life. The doctor creates a holographic family, but Bellana thinks the simulation is too quote unquote nice. She makes alterations to make the program more accurate. <laughs> Leave <laughs> hey. the doctor alone, Bellana. <laughs> when you fuck with the doctor's programming, bad things happen. Oh. Bad things that, that never get apologized for. Yeah, Come on. just just let it go, man. Don't be a dick. Let him have his family. Um, you remember this episode? I don't. I I guess no. I take that back. I remember some of it, but I'm uh, it's a doctor episode, so you know my uh, my expectations are accordingly uh, at least competent. Well, man, uh, I think that wraps it on this one. Sure does. Thanks again to everybody for joining us with. Uh, at Vijra, please. Uh, we appreciate everyone's engagement, sharing the podcast, and joining us on our Vijra, please drama support group. You can always tweet at us at Vijra, please, or email us at Vijra, please at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out and ask any question you might have. If we'll be for happy some to reason it. you find yourself traveling backwards in time and you are in possession of winning lottery numbers, feel free to hit us up on Facebook or gmail and let us know what those winning lottery tickets numbers are and you know good things will happen for all of us i promise hey we don't give a fuck about no temporal prime directive around and here. i'll tell you what if captain caveman shows up and tries to ruin our fun we'll make sure he ends up picking through the trash in some la slum <laughs> see you guys next time peace <laughs>